Evan Knappen, and welcome to Gun Lawyer. So, today I want to talk about archery control. That's right, we all know about gun control, but have you ever heard about archery control? Well, let me tell you folks, it's going to be coming our way. Just within the last few days, there was a mass killing in Norway. And this mass killing in Norway was done with a bow and arrow. Not kidding. And it is the largest mass killing in Norway since 2011. And it was done with a bow and arrow. We're talking about five people being killed and two others injured in an attack with a bow and arrow. And uh, the information that has come out about it, it appears that it's a 37-year-old Danish citizen who has been arrested after this uh, mass slaughter. And it is apparent from the police that they were uh, actually familiar with him because they had been afraid that he had been uh, radicalized in his conversion to Islam. And uh, they were, he was kind of on the radar, but they hadn't uh, done anything else, apparently, and plainly not enough to. Uh, stop him from his uh, killing spree. But here we have what is essentially now a new, in terms of modern times, of course, new, new development in, in, in a tool for terrorism. And this tool of the terrorist is a bow and arrow. And of course, uh, the, the founding philosophy, the key for anything that the anti-gunners uh, do is never let a good tragedy go to waste, right? They never do that. So this is going to be in line with that. And you're going to see exploitation because the folks that are against weapons, against our rights, against our ability to defend ourselves, they look to go at everything they can possibly go at to create bans and problems so that it is, uh, it is a continuous, ongoing fight. And now this creates kind of a new dimension. And the significance of archery in this regard is, uh, is really important because not only has archery and archers been part of our history, for years and years in terms of military as well and classic battles and you know the archer always played this role but now the archer is taking on a role as being something that uh, terrorists can utilize and I'm sure that we're gonna see calls I can't imagine that Norway which is uh, very very strict on its gun laws is not gonna somehow try to blame the object because that seems to be something they routinely do. So I expect we'll see out of uh, Norway, we'll see the object being blamed. 
for the atrocities and wrongdoing of an individual. And this is, of course, a pattern. And it relates so much to our Second Amendment rights because the right to keep and bear arms is not the right to keep and bear guns. It's the right to keep and bear arms. And arms cover all sorts of personal weapons, from edged weapons to firearms to clubs, you know, impact weapons. And, of course, bows and arrows are part of the right to keep and bear arms. As a matter of fact, our founding fathers uh, knew very well the importance of archery, and it was at a point in our revolution in early 1777 when the colonists were desperate for arms, absolutely desperate. And it was before the ship arrived from France that had 12,000 stand of arms that they didn't even know was coming Washington had put out a call to to go all through the countryside to find basically anything that would shoot so they could arm the rebels and those fighting for liberty. And Benjamin Franklin suggested, and this suggestion was taken very seriously, suggested that the colonists arm themselves with bows and arrows. So this is actually part of the right to keep and bear arms and traces back to our own history where it was a measure that might have been implemented in our fight for liberty and independence. And, you know, the, 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 the issues with archery of, are also personally very important to me because my, uh, my wonderful daughter, who... Uh, you may know Abby. Abby was a competition archer. She was actually in the uh, what is the junior dream team for the Olympics, and she actually trained at the Olympic Center and was quite the competitor. And so we've always had a close tie to archery and the love of archery, and also for hunting and bow hunting, and yet. I'm sure we're going to now encounter attempts at further regulation. And uh, in the past, in terms of cases, I actually had a case out of uh, Point Pleasant Beach going many, many years ago, uh, but uh, still, in which my client was target shooting with his bow and arrow in an extremely safe manner with his target up against literally a side of a barn. And he was just enjoying himself and practicing his archery in this manner. And the uh, police end up coming there because they just saw him practicing archery like, so what? Completely safe. And even his uh, relative came out of the house next door. I think it was his either his uncle or his grandfather, but who was formerly a police officer, I believe, uh, himself. And he comes out, and the officer's there, you can't shoot here, it's prohibited, etc. And they were like, you know, what do you mean? And, and, and he said, no, no, you're not allowed. 
So he's like, okay, if you say I'm not allowed, then he was just going to say no problem. But the officer proceeded to charge him with uh, discharge, discharge of a firearm. I'm not kidding, a firearm. And so now he has these charges, and he comes to me, and I look up the ordinance under the town that he's actually charged with, and it prohibits discharge of a firearm, yes, and even an air rifle, that's true, and, uh, you know, and, and actual firearms and, and, and such, and air guns, but nothing, nothing prohibiting bow and arrow shooting wasn't part of it. So... I said, look, they don't have any case. And I went to the prosecutor and I said, look, uh, you know, this needs to be dropped. There is, he did nothing wrong. It was legal for him to be practicing archery in a totally safe manner. And he was not in violation of any town ordinance. So it needs to go. And the prosecutor ended up, uh, ended up coming back to me and he said, uh, well, you know, uh, We'll drop it as long as your client stipulates the probable cause. Now, what that means is you say that you stipulate the probable cause, meaning there was a basis to charge you with the offense. And the reason they want that is it stops you from suing because there was probable cause for your arrest. So there you go. You know, you've admitted to it. And that protects them civilly. And talking to my client, we said, you know what? He's not going to do that. He's not going to do that. And I even said to the prosecutor, I said, you just need to drop it because there's nothing here for you to prosecute on. And my client is not going to stipulate the probable cause because he, he probably is going to sue you, to be honest, because he had to pay all the legal fees and everything that uh, he's been put through. But the bottom line is you don't have a case and you don't have a law here and it needs to go. And guess what? They dropped it. And uh, the officer charged him wasn't happy. But as I pointed out, I said, you know, what, what are you going to claim in, in, in the trial? That he had a string gun? I mean, what? You know, come on. It's bow and arrow. It's not part of it. So it got dropped, and he actually did uh, bring a uh, lawsuit and did get recovery over what happened to him. But here was this, again, even then, this bias against weapons and archery, et cetera, coming to light. Uh, you know, New, New, New Jersey particularly has a, a serious potential problem if they're going to push archery control. And I'll tell you why. It's because New Jersey has what is called a ballistic knife ban. That's right. Do you know what a uh, ballistic knife law is and a ballistic knife itself? What it is, is it is a, a knife that shoots is basically what it was sold as. And there was a federal ban put in place on ballistic knives. If you want to see a ballistic knife in action, you can watch uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in the commando movie where he actually uses two two of the uh ballistic knives to um to uh, go at his opponents and it's uh kind of interesting because it was really put in there i guess as a propaganda even at the time because there was a push 
federally to ban ballistic knives, and uh, they also got banned in New Jersey. And interestingly, ballistic knives, uh, they have a blade and a tube, and the tube goes inside a, another tube, and that ends up uh, with a spring, and when you push it, it fires out with the spring shooting the blade and the tube. They also claim that this was developed by the Russians uh, as a, in in specness or whatever. I don't I don't know whether that's actually true or not. But the bottom line here is they are uh, prohibited. And believe it or not, those laws were the federal ballistic knife law was signed in by the, the Re Ronald Reagan. Yeah, an anti it was an anti knife law, and it was signed by a Republican who. Normally, we have a lot of admiration for. And who the person who signed in the Jersey law was Governor Keene, yet another Republican governor. So this was the, uh, the trend and the, uh, uh, that was the uh, fashionable thing to do at the time, even though there was no incidents of uh, ballistic knives being uh, used unlawfully against any person. But why should that stop a law banning them from taking effect? And the problem is, when you look at the definition, particularly one that passed in New Jersey, a ballistic knife, get a load of this. Here's what it says. Ballistic knife means any weapon or other device capable of lethal use and which can propel a knife blade. Weapon or other device capable of lethal use which can propel a knife blade. Oh, you mean like a bow and arrow with a razor broadhead? Hmm. Is it capable of lethal use? You betcha. Is it propelling a knife blade? Well, what is on those broadheads, huh? That's right. And you may say, well, you know, uh-oh, is that Evan doing that fear-mongering thing again? And just, no, 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 let me explain something. Florida passed a ballistic knife ban. But... Florida's law specifically exempts archery, specifically exempts broadheads, etc. Yeah, why do you think they specifically exempted them? Because they realized that if they didn't, it would create a prohibition. So New Jersey really could at any moment, based on the ballistic knife law that's already law, ban the sale, ban the possession, have a concerted effort to stop broadheads, razor broadheads from being used. And of course, it would completely shut down uh, bow hunting season when you can't have that. But uh, who knows? I mean, if, if what happened in Norway is now copycatted by other individuals, whether because they're, quote, radicalized or not, and it now becomes a known weapon of choice, you can well see this as a possibility, I'm sure. So beware. We're constantly having to be vigilant over these things. And to add more issues to it, you know, uh, arrows will pretty readily punch through ballistic vests. You know, ballistic vests, the normal body armor is designed for bullets. And unless you have plates, the armor that uses plates, 
They're not stab-proof, and they sure as heck aren't razor broadhead-proof or even arrow-proof because it is an entire different dynamic as to what those vests are designed to stop. So that danger can be out there as well for the other side to be shouting from the hilltops, I'm sure. And uh, this is something that puts another challenge to us for all of us that love uh, archery and love bow hunting, etc. But now, due to the wrongdoing of uh, one person and this atrocity, it may very well be setting a trend that uh, could really bode poorly and yet another attack on our Second Amendment rights via archery control. Hey, when we come back, I have some great questions from our listeners. Some really interesting stuff. For over 30 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners. A fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights, justice, and freedom. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law, a bright orange gun law Bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Knappen, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I am a lawyer. I am a lawyer. I want to just remind everyone here how much I appreciate you listening to Gun Lawyer. I really enjoy being able to talk to you and tell you my thoughts about current events and things that are important for you to know to protect yourself and things that uh, don't get shut down by uh, the media because this is my podcast and you're my listeners and uh, we're not subject to algorithms and shadow banning and all that. So this lets us talk about those things. So make sure you subscribe to Gun Lawyer. Tell your friends to listen. It really means a lot as we build up our wonderful base of subscribers and we're able to get the word out. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Uh, we're out there in every uh, every available source, whether it's iHeart or CBS or Audible, etc. It's all there. And uh, if you want to explore further, go to our website at www.gun.lawyer. Now, I got a really interesting question here, and this came from Paul. And what Paul is asking about is the following. He says, regarding mutual combat, 
Evan, I've been listening to your podcast for the last few months. It is fantastic. Keep up the great work. I'm backed up a bit on shows, so my apologies if you already address this. And frankly, I did not, so this is good. Here is my question. I heard about gangbangers that shot up a house in Chicago from their vehicle on the street. The other gangbangers inside the house shot back. 70 rounds of ammo apparently fired in the exchange. I believe at least one person died. People were arrested and released by the prosecutor because of, quote, mutual combat. All charges dropped on both sides. Can you explain the rationale behind mutual combat from a legal perspective on an upcoming podcast? What is it, and how does it apply to cases like this? And I'd be happy to discuss that because it is very interesting. Uh, what is, what are they talking about? What happened? And I'll tell you, um, I'm going to reference here a an article uh, posted a uh, uh, on by uh, it's under Fox News, okay. And it says, prosecutors reject charges for five suspects involved in deadly Chicago shootout. And they cite mutual combat and then report. And they quote, it's just like the Wild West, one police source said of his gun crime, of the gun crimes in Chicago. So look at that. How can this be? Well, it, it, the article goes into it pretty Thoroughly, I believe, and it makes it clear that prosecutors rejected charging five suspects in this uh, gang shootout. And uh, the police are not happy with that because they wanted murder and aggravated battery charges. And instead, um, it, it was apparently uh, dropped and all the suspects were released without charges. And what it says, quote, is mutual combatants was cited as a reason for the rejection of police report reviewed by Chicago Sun-Times said of the state attorney's decision. So this is pretty interesting. How can you have a shootout between gangs and 70 rounds expelled and individuals an individual killed allegedly here, and uh, it goes on that that mutual combat is a legal phrase, and it's a fight into which both parties enter willingly, or in which two persons, upon a sudden quarrel and in hot blood, mutually fight upon equal terms. So that is mutual combat, and it doesn't necessarily seem that that means criminal charges can't be brought it's just that it maybe it is a form of mitigation or maybe it's uh it makes it a lesser offense i don't know but the cook county attorney's office they apparently issued a statement and they had a different reason they said that they determined that the evidence was insufficient to meet their burden of proof to approve felony charges and so they were just basing it on insufficient evidence. But uh, uh, 
they uh, apparently the Cook County Sheriff, uh, Cook County State Attorney Office did not uh, respond as to uh, the report regarding mutual combat. So it seems to me that although mutual combat may have been what occurred there, it seems more that the reason the prosecutor is dropping it is because of the insufficiency of evidence. Remember, it's not just that there's, uh, it's not just that, you know, the gun's hot and the perpetrators are not. Uh, it's, it's needed evidence and proofs, and they have to be able to demonstrate this. Otherwise, it's just going to be a glorious waste of time if they attempt to bring the case. So for whatever reason, at least at this moment, they're saying they don't have enough evidence to uh, to proceed. But the mutual combat really raises some serious, serious questions. Uh, and frankly, uh, I would not put forward that mutual combat is a good idea in terms of trying to allege that for your self-defense case or use of justifiable force, um, you know, that you both agreed to go and try to kill each other. It just doesn't play well. Um, if you are going to be justified in your use of force, and there's entire standards for that. Now, it is true that there are certain levels, particularly in terms of, like, simple assault and such, where if it's mutual combat where you both agree, kind of consensually went into the fight, uh, that can lower the uh, lower the level of the offense, and I've seen that, but not just to knock out use of deadly force completely. I really would lean more toward the prosecutors having a lot of trouble getting uh, the evidence that they need when two gangs are involved and nobody's really talking, and uh, and witnesses probably want nothing whatsoever to do with it. So that would seem to make more sense as to what actually occurred uh, occurred there. So I'll tell you what, I uh, I got another fun question here, and this one was let me pull it up right here. This is from Tom, and Tom says Evan greatly enjoyed your podcast and wanted me to discuss. Uh, Leosa, which I would be happy to talk a little bit about right now. And Leosa is the Law Enforcement Officer Safety Act. And Leosa is a law that was passed to give law enforcement, both active law enforcement and retired law enforcement, the ability to carry uh, a handgun concealed anywhere in the United States. It is a federal preemptive law that basically allows for national carry. And that is law. And the problem we have, of course, is how that gets applied to all the states. And New Jersey, of course, uh, doesn't want to recognize it, at least to the degree that they cannot recognize it. And it's always kicking and screaming with Jersey, even when it's law enforcement or retired law enforcement that uh, they want to be able to exercise their rights under LEOSA. But, you know, Leosa and the idea of a preemptive federal law allowing for carry uh, actually goes back further than Leosa. A lot of folks don't know or realize that the very first preemptive 
National carry law passed in the United States is federal preemption for armored car personnel. That's right. They were the first. The ability for armored car personnel to carry their firearms throughout the country, cross state lines, etc., to do their job. And so armed armored car and individuals armed in armored car, they were that was the first and still is uh, an exemption that is preemptive of state law. So it is uh, that's what cut the path for Leosa, which came years later for current and retired law enforcement. Now, you know we've had attempts to have national reciprocity for individuals that have carry licenses. And this is something that I'm really, really in favor of because I've had to deal with and save and help so many New Jersey New Jersey cases where individuals who were non-residents came into New Jersey with a carry license and just didn't realize that their carry license was not honored by New Jersey. Of course, most famous being the Shanine Allen case, but we've had dozens and dozens and dozens of other cases where individuals come here, and many times it's because they have a certain a certain uh, belief that is not illogical, but it is not the law. And the belief is that, hey, I have this carry license from my home state, just like I have a driver's license from my home state, and my driver's license is accepted in all other states. Why would any state not accept my carry license when my carry license was harder to get than my driver's license even? I mean, you don't go through a criminal background check to get a driver's license. Yet, for the carry licenses, you do. And yet, it's not honored in a uniform, mandatory, or agreed-upon way. And it creates a patchwork quilt of states that do recognize other states, and some do, some don't. And you have to know all your reciprocities across the board before you travel. And unfortunately, states like New Jersey recognize no other states carry license, none, because New Jersey is, is obviously so superior and so far ahead of everybody and just so wonderful that there couldn't possibly be another license that they could recognize, right? And what happens if you don't know this and you come into Jersey with a firearm that you are legal, licensed for, think you're 100% and you're a law-abiding person, and you get stopped and that gun is discovered, often because when you, you hand over your driver's license and you will seize your carry license and then questions you about it. You get caught with that gun in Jersey, you're looking at 10 years in state's prison and a minimum mandatory three and a half years, no chance of parole. It is incredibly serious. People who get into this trap are shocked beyond belief that New Jersey is out to ruin their lives, their careers, their hopes and dreams over a gun that they were legally licensed to have and were doing nothing wrong with. 
But that's how harsh and severe and terrible uh, Jersey is. And it is a nightmare for people. So you, you really, if you have firearms and you're traveling, avoid New Jersey completely. Drive around it. Don't stay there. It is a trap of such serious nature, and it has caused such harm to so many otherwise law-abiding citizens. It's disgusting. And I'm not being extreme when I tell you, you know, you know, stay in Pennsylvania. You know, don't stay in New Jersey. Be unbelievably careful. Try to avoid it in any way you can if you're a gun owner because there is no gun law in New Jersey, not one that is not a felony-level offense, not one. We are talking about a state where possession of a slingshot is a felony-level offense. And you get convicted of any of that. Even if you don't go to jail or prison, you just pay a fine, you're now a prohibited person under federal law, and you've lost your gun rights for the entire United States. So beware. And yes, Leosa is on the books. It's a great law. It's an important law. But be extra careful, even if you're covered by Leosa, in coming into New Jersey and trying to rely on these preemptions. Because although ultimately you may be successful, it's, you're still going to get arrested. We're still going to have the fight. I recently had it on an armored security guards that were transporting lawfully armored security, and they had their carry lights, and they were still faced with charges, even though the federal law is crystal clear about them being preempted. Remember, these preemptions become a defense. You're going to have to show it and prove it, and uh, it's... It's something you need to be very much aware of. So I hope all our officers and retired officers can stay safe and protect themselves. I also want to see the day when individuals, whether law enforcement or not, honest citizens can defend themselves and have the ability and the means to protect themselves anywhere in the United States, just like the Second Amendment intended. And as we get closer to that Supreme Court decision being decided in New York, we may and hopefully will see that day dawn on America. And what a great day it will be. Till next time, folks, remember, gun laws don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. Gun Lawyer is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice. Consult a licensed attorney in your state.